Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, how you going, mate? Pretty good. Good to be here as always. Good to be here. We're recording remotely today. Well, I'm remote. You're in the office. Um, how you going? What's, what's news? That um, maybe not everyone knows about, which is the... The halo oh, light, the ring light, the old halo for, light. For anyone watching, so Drew Jamie's always squint this way normally. Um. <laughs> Jamie always asks why I'm in when I'm in this room. Why the lighting? Like, why does everything look so good in this room? Because um, in our <laughs> office, you've seen the lights that sit above it. They're really, yeah. they're right in the right spot. It makes everything dark, and then you've got this. I'm pretty sure it's your halo light in here, isn't it? No, no, that's yours. That's a, that's a five-buck Kmart. That's a stitch up for you. For anyone that wants to become a famous podcaster or a YouTuber like I drew here, you can go to Kmart and get a $5 ring light. And it just plugs into your USB, good as gold. Um, they're fine, actually. They're actually pretty good. I take one on the road with me. Um, but what have you been working on, mate? Uh, a bit of everything. A uh, lot of news this week. Head down to the Super and Wealth Summit, the AFR event, uh, which was across the road. You probably remember our team just had the ESG retreat down in Tassie mm. Um, mm. as well. But the AFR was you know, super interesting. They had all the big industry funds there, uh, IWF, JB Weir, um, AMP, all the big names talking about kind of advice, retirement. Um, the minister, Stephen Jones, went pretty hard at pension fund, industry funds on how they're not doing enough in retirement. Um, and what Wayne Swan kind of talked about, oh, they're not providing retirement outcomes and they're not really educating. I think there was a stat that came out that 40% of people, which is probably, it's, oh, it's a ghoulish um, a name tag mm. we've got there. Uh, sorry. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for everyone, you've got some yeah, name badges came up look like Halloween. Uh, there's something like 40% of uh, retirees uh, are financially illiterate, which was kind of you know, kind of a shock, but they're not not, that shocking at the same time. Uh, so as they're not really educating and people aren't empowered when they get to retirement, they basically just get a letter that says, turn change to an income or you're retired, here's your money. Uh, and that process isn't very clear, nor is it you know, providing them with awareness of how much they could draw. Um, one big thing, we ran our retirement event last week too for, yeah, for World Partners. Yeah. And one big thing is this kind of minimum drawdowns that you have 4% under 65 that it goes up every year. People see that as how much they should draw, which is the complete 
opposite. You should be drawing one, what's sustainable for your assets, but two, what you need to live, um, not what the government says is a minimum amount. That was, I think, a big message that came out of it too, and that's just empowering people to know their financial position. Mm. So, in other words, because the, the the limit is the minimum is set at four percent at sixty five. From the yeah. saying, people think well four percent at sixty five. Yeah, then that's all they should draw. Um, yeah. Where it's complete. If yeah, depending on your assets, you should be trying to live the same lifestyle that you had before, if possible, mm-hmm. um, and then adjusting accordingly. Not just tr- spending the fall that comes out and and not thinking about it anymore. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, I think this is like something that we see. It's like financial literacy or investment literacy it has nothing to do with age like not at all it, i can see this in the crowds no matter where we go like it doesn't matter if we're talking to a not just retiree community but a, like a very old say stock picking community or younger investors at some sort of evening drinks or whatever um at the end of the day the reality is like it can it doesn't really matter how old you are because we're not exposed to financial education and investment literacy. So we're not seeing it at any point of our life. So why would we think that age is a is a reason that we are more educated on that? Um, I think that's why yeah, podcasts have exploded in the last few years as well. Yeah, and I think that's why so many people who listen to this are over the age of 50. Like you would yeah. think that we use like primary colours like yellow or blue or green at RASC that um, – you attract a younger audience, but it's just simply not the case. Like most people, the average age of younger, our podcast is younger people like primary colors. <laughs> well, you know, like so, but that's what we. So that's where the kind of like the psychology behind the choice of colors for like Microsoft yeah. and um, Google uh, and all those yeah. things come from um, is that you have primary colors because it's less um, offensive. You learn primary colors in primary school, right? So, um, like you'd think that, but the average age of listener of this channel is forty nine. So. Yeah. Um, it goes to show that it doesn't really matter if you want information and you want to, you're interested in investing. It doesn't matter what age you are, you want to learn. Uh, I'd say that the people that listen to this, in fact, I'd be almost sure of it, um, are not the people that fall into IOF's definition of financially illiterate because we yeah. are listening. Um, there was something interesting before we get to uh, the news. Uh, we did hear from Kogan this week. Um, <laughs> you're getting a bit of. Uh... What's the, what's the word? Uh, gravitas. Gravitas. Oh, I'm pretty sure you've got some gravitas in there. <laughs> gravitas. <laughs> I don't know about that, mate. I'll, I'll take it. It's better Credit than that. Uh, Credit to you for that. Free TV. <laughs> Let's not jump forward, though. Yep. Yeah. No, there was a section in the notes that you prepared for this week, which I thought was really interesting, and it's while we're on the topic of retirement. You have some notes here for, for folks who are heading into retirement or in retirement, a bit of a spring clean. Do you want to run us through these six things that you've come up with? Yeah, I'm a really weird note taker. So, you know, the notes thing on your iPhone, which then goes to every thing, every Apple thing you have. Uh, mm. If I just come up with random ideas, I'll put it there. And it was basically someone wrote about a spring clean. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. You should spring clean your portfolio or spring clean your retirement um, strategy uh, before Christmas. Everyone thinks about it after Christmas and that's when we get a lot of interest naturally because mm, yeah. you're thinking about it but there were five things i put together um pretty quickly which kind of span investment and the financial super side so something we found we talked about at the retirement event was that something like 80 or 90 percent of smsfs over 65 have commenced a pension which turns mm. their fund into tax-free something i think it was less than 10 percent of industry funds with members over 65 have done that so just something as simple as that can save you a massive amount of tax um 
general advice only. It depends on your situation. <laughs> the other one's check your transfer balance cap. So whether that's um, whether it's your pension cap or your ability to make catch-up contributions, go onto MyGov, look at your super cap for the last and where it sits for the last few years. You've got some benefits if you're under five hundred thousand, and then the mm. in, the other one's been increased to one point nine. As we found out, last week. Uh, and the more investment ones, and look at your asset allocation. Yeah, you know, markets have moved a lot. Are you? Are you? Have you become overexposed to something more than something else? Like global shares have done much better than Australian. So just be mm. wary of anything popping in. What are you getting on your cash? So Jamie's mm, been published. Business partner's been published a few times the last few weeks. Go buy term deposits. Don't personal, not personal advice, <laughs> but make sure your cash balance, whether it's on a platform or not, is near that cash rate, which should be over four percent. Yep. Or if it's not, start looking at term deposits. Um, and then just looking at some your contribution caps. You don't have to do it. We all do it in May, but you can think about it earlier. Uh, on can more you of walk us through that? Strategy. What do you mean? So the ability to make non-concessional contributions each year. Um, and we tend to think about it because it gives a structure in May, June. But just because it's the end of financial year, you're free to make those contributions whenever you like, which is yeah. you can make $110,000 per person in any given year. Um, and then there's also strategies like you can draw out your super and recontribute it with a view to reducing the tax for your children, um, all legal and not, <laughs> not loopholes. <laughs> tax avoidance. Yeah. Yeah. But think about those sort of strategies for those. Some of them are for over 65. Some of them are for people probably in accumulation phase as well. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, maybe we'll include that list along with the, the show notes today. I was going to try to um, do a quick article on that too, so we'll see how that goes. Okay. Well, if you get that out in the next uh, 24 hours, let us know and we'll chuck it up on the website. <laughs> no, no pressure. pressure. Um, so we did mention that um, I did buy a Kogan TV not too long ago. <laughs> and um, I feel like it got right to the end of the warranty period and then started to freeze and turn on randomly throughout the middle of the night. So... Um, Kogan reached out and said, hey, um, we're sorry to hear about this on the podcast, um, but let us know if you can try these steps and fix it. Kombucha, there you go, Drew. Um, I also love Remedy Kombucha. <laughs> so if you do want to send Drew some kombucha, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Drew at Waddle Partners, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Kogan reached out, and thanks to the team there that did that, they said, told me some instructions to follow and it fixed the TV. So presto. Um, I thought so you were getting a new you. TV. No, they offered that if it didn't work, they would send me a new one. Um, but um, credit to them. They uh, <laughs> they found a solution and it fixed the TV for me. So now I can watch my favorite Amazon Prime things when I'm jumping into bed for a little while. So thank you so much. We have to so thank much, July as well, don't we, from a few we weeks thank ago. July. Shout out to July, the luggage company. Um, based in Melbourne, makes wonderful luggage. Um, so don't get an American tourist day, get July. Not paid to say that, but that's, uh, that's not at all. Plug. Not at all. Um, Drew, do you have a buy, hold, sell for us? Yeah, I had a weird buy, hold, sell for you. Um, okay. I always come up with them at the last minute and most of them are personal and not stock driven. <laughs> okay, I like this. My first one is price of petrol. Uh, buy, hold, sell petrol cars. Maybe it's on a medium term basis. Uh, medium term, so maybe three to five like years? A, it cost me one hundred and thirty dollars to fill up my car the other day. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Are you saying when you say medium term, what's your definition of medium term? Three to five. Okay, yeah, me too. Um, Did you really buy a Tesla? Yes, I would say sell combustion engines. I think um, if you're a tradie, you probably can't get away with electric just yet. If you're um, driving long distance, like into the country, you probably can't get away with a um, electric just yet. But everyone else could drive electric. It's um, yeah. they're so much better. 
So yes, um, shout out well, to the range Rodney. on my car is like six hundred kilometers, and the range on a Tesla six hundred. And they always talk about the range being. Yeah, four. It depends yeah. on the it depends on the Tesla. Like mine gets about four fifty, but how often do you go more than four fifty in one shot? And around the major cities in Australia, you've got all the superchargers. You get eighty percent in fifteen minutes, so yeah. it's not too bad. But yeah, I can't remember the last time I stopped in a bloody petrol station. Um, so maybe to get fishing bait. That was probably about it, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, I would say sell. Um, but, you know, I was thinking there you're always going to need diesel trucks and that sort of stuff for certain long-range applications and whatever. So that's my one. What about you? Uh, I'm still a buy. You're a buy on combustion engines. Some, okay. the, the, the sound of an engine just sometimes is nice. I do want a Tesla. That's, are we buying well, a electric next? I was talking to David Dicker, the founder of um, uh, Dicker Data the other day. Is he the, the one podcast. with like seven Ferraris or something? Yeah, he's got heaps of Ferraris. He's got his own private jet. He's yeah, an interesting fellow. He's um, he's actually appearing on the podcast in the next two weeks, so that's an epic interview. But uh, he was saying the same thing you're saying about – pardon me, about the the – like the sound of the cars. Yeah. I actually like the sound of an electric car taking off. Kind of sounds like a jet taking mm. off. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I hate that yeah. it could be trying to cross across the street in like a you know, we're neighborhood or the mm. burbs of Melbourne and you can't hear the Tesla. Like you walk out. Yeah, yeah. It'll clean you up. You yeah. don't want to you get in front both of that ways. Thing. Yeah. Um, okay, number two. Anyway. Uh the second one was kind of a follow up. We had CSL last week, hit by the GLPs and Zempic. So this week's ResMed. I know Dunkin' Donuts has had an issue as well that now people are saying because of lower levels of obesity that people will stop eating donuts because um, of these treatments. Um, wouldn't they eat, so, wouldn't they eat more donuts? <laughs> I think, well, maybe it's supposed to reduce your appetite. So I'm not sure. Uh, but maybe you eat donuts and you don't eat other things. Who knows? But we're not doing Dunkin' Donuts, we're doing ResMed. <laughs> okay. so the ResMed makes sleep apnea yeah, uh, products. Devices. I'd say buy. Yeah, I'm a I'm a buy on that too. Yep. Uh, I'm not the not the best at buy sell holds. So I'll put myself out there for that. No, that's but, right. Uh, yeah, I like it. Finally, the last one's the beautiful game. So we had the Matildas last night playing another Olympic qualifier in Perth, winning again. Buy sell hold on the beautiful game, whether that's soccer or or uh, women's football. soccer or foot. Sorry, football. Football. <laughs> it's the one you play with your feet. So football. Um. I would say buy. They're I'm all buys. I'm a huge <laughs> soccer fan. Well. I'm a huge soccer fan, so yeah. like love my Chelsea, and um, you know love watching soccer. It's what I watch most. So I would say buy. I'm Man United, so I hate that soccer, but I love watching the Matildas. Okay, so it's a buy from you. It's a buy. Yeah, I've got to so buy, buy. You got buy, buy, buy. I've got <laughs> sell on the petrol. Buy, buy. When please you, send when through you, some please, other buy sell holds for us. I'm yeah, not please, very good at them. please help us out. Um, please help us out. I um I. I do have a couple of hypotheticals for you, actually. I was going to say, what's the one or two? I'll give you one or two. What's the one or two best non-financial investments you have made in the past year? So something that's not like a investment product, like a share or an ETF or a fund or but something. Not a, like, not a bar. Not a real asset. Just something that's like maybe like a product or it could be whatever. The car I bought for my parents, I kind of... Mm, for some okay. reason, find some joy in that. Um, okay, that's good. Like a, you do spend a lot of time in your car, so it's kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, comfortable, uh, and I did not prepare for this one at all. Um, okay, well, why, I why think go for it. Bringing like non fight. This is going to sound stupid, but like bringing structure to your day or life, which I know it's more like how do how do you structure things and how do you organize things better. Mm. Um, 
and kind of freeing up time and and mental space that way, if that makes sense. So I don't use motion or anything like that, but um, compartmentalizing yep. your day a bit better. Oh, okay. That's a bit too deep. I usually go shallow and happy. This is going deep. <laughs> no, well, investment in – I got asked uh, the same question this week um, for a book. So, like, what's the best non-kind of financially thing that you've ever made as an investment? And I was like, oh, well, I guess, like, investing in things like mental health is really important. Um, yeah. Like, I think that's really important. I think people underestimate, like, the, the best earning asset that you have is your what's, you know, up in your head. So, you want to take care of it. Um, but I would say most recently, I bought a Costco membership, which I'm stoked about. Like, I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled about that. Again, uh, every week. <laughs> and you paid for it. Not an ad. Let's be clear. Not an ad. Yeah. And then the other thing, I bought a copy of Mike Kemp's book, Michael Kemp, who uh, worked with the Barefoot Investor for a while. His book is uh, The Ulysses Contract. I know a lot of people that listen to the show have got a copy, and I think it's a brilliant book. I think it would change a lot of people's perspectives on various I saw this one I was going to try and uh, read out too. What is that? Gonzo Capitalism. I have heard of that. Yeah. You haven't read it yet? No, I just saw it online today. I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I um, I should. This is more of a public service announcement for folks as well. I've also booked in, hopefully, I'm guessing it will go ahead, uh, Shane Parrish from the Farnham Street blog. He's got a new book out, Clear Thinking. Um, so his podcast with us will go live before Christmas. So if you do have any questions for Shane Parrish that you want to send, send in, uh, please let me know. So to put it in perspective... Shane Parrish is probably at a similar ilk to Morgan Housel. Um, so his book is currently uh, the New York Times bestseller list right up there with Atomic Habits and all that sort of stuff. So, um, in fact, on the back of the book, I noticed I got a copy. To, my copy finally got, came today. I bought two copies and an audio book because I forgot I ordered the original copy and it took five, like four weeks to get to me. Um, but on the back of the book, there's Annie Duke, Morgan Housel, um, and a bunch of other people. Um, that have like basically endorsed the book and it's a fant- fantastic um, thing to see. So those would be mine. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is this a bit of trivia. This is more a bit of like pub trivia on a Wednesday night for investors. What's been the best performing stock market since the year 1900? Only one of them has been open since then. Has it been the S&P 500? No. Australia's been in business. It's not Australia. Stock might like index. Just pick a stock exchange then. If pick a country, not the New York stock, US. No, that's third. Canada. No. FTSE. No. Hang, 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 hang. No. Uh, well, you're going to tell me it's the ASX 200. No, it's 200 only created in the 1980s. The All Lords. The All Lords would be the one that you track goes back. The All Lords is the second best performing stock market. The best. Johannesburg. Johannesburg. South, South Africa. Yeah. yeah. South Africa. A lot of similarities to Australia too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of like a, it was a, back then it would have been a very, like an emerging or a frontier market. Um, and it's developed into a developed market, which has probably helped the country and the uh, stock market ra- rally over time. But yeah, the US was in third, Australia second, Johannesburg or South Africa in number one. So do we have any other news we want to get to before we answer some questions? Always a lot. Um, <laughs> we've got a rate decision coming up on Tuesday. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm saying it's going to be a hold. I think 80% of people are saying it's a, an increase, uh, yeah. which I find incredibly challenging. The Federal Reserve kept rates on hold 
this week. That's why the markets rallied overnight. Mm. Um, I'm just ra- <clears throat> rattling them off here. The IMF came out and blamed the government for inflation. Do you see that? It's probably in my fair. notes. Probably fair. This all this infrastructure spend, and I think we've talked about this before, and it's what Bill Mitchell talks about. We have to confirm his date as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just treating this as if it's a normal chat, not necessarily <laughs> a podcast. Uh, but um, basically, the inflation comes when there's crowding out by the private public sector into the private sector. That means that the private public sector is using up too many resources and pushing the economy past capacity. And the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has said that there's too much government spending on infrastructure and it's dragging resources out of the economy, which is sending the price of them up. So that's a big contributor to inflation and to uh, labour, as well as naturally the the imported oil and and kind of related commodity issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, It makes a lot of sense, right? Because... I mean, I was telling about this earlier on the finance podcast is that we do have an issue where uh, retirees in particular are able to spend and because interest rates have gone up. So then we don't really have the impact from those that side of the town yet. We're seeing the impact on people with mortgages. Uh, most of the household savings rates come way down. Um, and so for the most part, like there's been a lot of stimulus going into the system, which is keeping unemployment super tight. Um, Younger, I would say younger households as a general rule are feeling the pinch a lot more than the older households. And the government is on a spending spree at the same time the, the RBA is trying to hold up, right? So it's kind of like there's all this tension in the system. Um, and I'm with you, Drew, for next week. I think it will be a hold. I think, I think there's, I just think there's too much water still to go under the bridge from the or interest rate increases we've could already be, seen. Higher rates that could be contributing to inflation because they're giving retirees more money on their term deposits. Well, that's <laughs> it. Exactly. Spending more. That's, exactly. Yeah, the people who own capital, and I think there were some stats out of the US that uh, like national wealth, household wealth, is even median household wealth, is the highest it's ever been. And that's why it's having less and less impact because if you've got financial assets and it's not all in property, well, your income can actually be going up. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's it's... I guess it's one of those things at the end of the day where um, folks just need to be mindful that we might have persistent inflation or at least persistent rates near where they are. And as you said, if Jamie's right from earlier on, he's um, telling everyone to go out and get term deposits Well, and savings accounts. There's no reason to stop spending if, you, if your interest is exceeding your cost of living. Why not? Exactly. Uh, any other news? Four questions? Uh, we had, I mean, Eurozone inflation, I'm still... Pushing for this is under 3%, so inflation is falling in a lot of places. Uh, I was at the AFR summit. They talked about Australian super, so they just pushed back on the bid for Origin to take Origin private. Uh, I'm not sure mm. if the stock you cover that much. No, big, no. Um, a lot of renewable energy, but also biggest coal energy producer in the country as well. Um, <clears throat> so it's an industry few, super fund refusing the price that they're offering and trying mm. to get a higher price out of the bidder. Interesting. Interesting. That was, and then most of the groups saying that Origin don't have enough money to invest to this level they want to without this deal. Um, so that price of that deal went up overnight to $9.50, I think from $8.80 or thereabouts. Wow. Uh, That's a pretty big increase considering it's just like one blocking stake. So I guess Australian Super's got a bit of pound of a pound of flesh from that then. I'm sure they knew it beforehand too. I assume that's how it works. You know what the price is going to be and you keep pushing for the next one. Yeah. Um, not yeah. that there's anything. No, no, there's no nothing nefarious going on there. Yeah. But this is a, another company 
you know, another major Australian company taken private. So you're seeing the value of, and there's a and there's a question about value of currency. That with the Australian dollar so weak, all these takeovers are actually you know cheaper for overseas companies at the moment. That's why in the mining sector in particular, there's mm-hmm. a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only other the only thing that I saw from your notes, I might say is that Domino's Pizza expects earnings in fiscal 2024 to be significantly higher as it restructures the business and the company. I saw the shareholders at the AGM. Something like 7,000 stores or something they wanted as well. I'm like, it's a lot of pizza shops. Um, yeah, they've always had very aspirational outlooks. Rollouts. The key yeah. there, like sales are up 12% year on year. That's like, in, at any level, that's impressive. Well, it wasn't that long ago when folks were, bashing on dominoes saying that you know it's basically dead and COVID and blah 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 so stock has fallen from 159 dollars 160 dollars a share that's in late 2021 to 51 dollars today so it's, it's, back to, it's back to a price and earnings ratio of 67 <laughs> so um, that's like basically a growth. it sounds like a value stock uh, so <laughs> um pretty xy still on those conventional metrics but it has got a history of growing and being a persistent grower. So I guess that's a pretty good thing. Um, just a quick question. I did ask you this last week, I think. What do you reckon about Water Partners going on the road in 2024? I'm going to catch you off guard here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, well, we're recording on Thursday, uh, and me and you have a meeting planned tomorrow morning to talk ah, about just this, this topic, yeah, uh, which is top of the agenda. Next, so, next, so, watch this space. This, this is a bit of a tease, is it? It watch is. This we're, space. Take this retirement community, community national, and that's what we're trying to build, really, is a, is a community of not like-minded, but people with a lot of things in common. common. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not an ability to speak but uh, we are talking about it next year so how we can even if it's quarterly you know offer some one-on-one meetings at the same time as running a retirement event like we did last week so we had a yeah. retirement coach we had yourself me and jamie talking about more you know, financial strategy matters and then we had some uh fund managers talking about the investment side and i hopefully got a bit of a blend okay yeah, between I, think the three. I think the um I think all of the speakers did really well, and John Glass is a great speaker as well. Yeah. For anyone that Chow came Ma to from Cooper went, from, sorry, yeah, yeah, from she, Munro, she was exceptional. Oh, she's yeah. yeah, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Um, okay, so we've got some questions sent in. Um, if you have asked a question or if you do want to ask another question, uh, you can head to the link in your podcast player or in the YouTube description below the video that says ask a question, select the Australian Investors Podcast. Drew and I answer the questions every Saturday morning. Um, Just remember that it is general financial information only. We don't know your personal circumstances, which is why we ask you for silly nicknames on the way in. If you you are the silliest name of the week or the most fun, uh, you end up with a prize, which is the Value Investor Program, a free online course on value investing worth 499 clams. With that said, Drew, uh, the first question comes from Tazzy Tiger. And I don't know much about Pack Group Holdings, do you? 
Uh, yeah, Jaminda Pratt family. Um, I think Jaminda was a Pratt Platt family, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so the Pratt family owned Amcor and Vizzy. Yep. Anyone that knows Elfington with the old paper mills um, mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And I think Pack Group does more specific packaging. Yeah, right. Uh, to my mind, uh, rigid plastic and metal. So it was kind of like a Aurora would be one of the other companies that was involved. And I think they do more of the cardboard. And this is like the plastic and specialized part. Um, yeah, so right. high, highly you know, labor intensive or input intensive, probably thin margin business and, and a, probably a smid cap. Yep. Okay. And do you cover the stock that closely? No, we've covered Aurora in the past, not packed. Um, I think mainly due to the size. Yeah. Uh, I could be proven completely wrong on that. Oh, yeah. Packed is only a 250 mil market cap, whereas Aurora sits in the ASX 100 from memory. Uh, okay. 3.3 bill. Yeah. Okay. So know so the Tassie, family, know the history. Yeah. So Tassie Tiger, we don't, I don't cover it that closely, neither does Drew, it seems. So we, we might have to take a pass on this one, mate. But a great question um, about the potential takeover. I have seen it in the news and all these types of things. Takeovers That's, are the flavor of the month. month sorry. Take private too. So it's Raf Jaminda trying to take the company that he was running or majority shareholder of private and then the yeah, independent right. board recommending you don't accept the offer. Yeah. Um, so Fair really what, what he's saying is that the share price isn't valuing the company highly enough um, and management at the moment isn't doing enough to just in his, in the kind of <laughs> the story for most of these that managers do enough to show that value. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Um, this is a good one from Baggins, T Baggins. In fact, uh, writes in and says, how does someone who is not a sophisticated investor invest in a private credit fund? What are the options? Because they uh, may be listening back to some of the other episodes that we've covered before where we talked about private credit strategies. Um, what are the options? If someone is not a sophisticated investor, are these available, quote unquote, to retail uh, investors, Drew? I think private credit is um, always worth defining wholesale and retail investors as well. Yeah, um, so, wholesale investor, you, you basically need to be earning an income of over $250,000 or have assets in excess of $2.5 million. Uh, and then mm -hmm. you get access to these big range of investments. The, you know, the big advice wealth management groups use this to distribute different kinds of uh, investments and it removes all that like your retail uh, license. It removes a lot of the protections that you have um, as a retail investor. So, we treat everyone as a retail investor at Waddle. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really the most the investments that tend that are generally popular are in private markets. Um, the potential higher returning, so like private equity, venture capital, uh, and perceived high risk, um, and these investments that industry super funds and other groups tend to hold. Mm. Um, private credit itself, I think, is quite difficult to get as a as a non-sophisticated, if that's even the word, the amount of sophisticated, sophisticated investors we've met. <laughs> <laughs> like money doesn't determine your financial literacy. No, just like uh, age. Which yeah. is the issue. And we've talked to you know regulators about this as well. Um, there are options to get an exposure to the credit sector, I think, which are quite interesting. You've probably interviewed a few, like metrics. Yeah, um, metrics. Will be one. There's revolution. I think that's semi-Bob Sahoda. Um, that's mm -hmm. the channel... Channel Capital Group. Um, Investor's like got the senior secured loans. Senior secured, so it's not private private credit. It's still kind of traded uh, in the background. 
Um, but basically, what you're trying to do is get exposure, and this is a very important discussion at the moment, rather than buying equities and buying more ASX-listed shares, you're going from the equity part of a balance sheet to the debt part, and that's mm-hmm. all private credit is. Usually, private credit is usually in probably smaller and and private companies versus listed ones. So, um, there's a lot of listed alternatives, Newberger Berman and some of the those listed products that are giving you credit exposure. Uh, but I don't know of any um, private credit specific for retail, mm. if I'm completely um, honest. Yeah. I mean, there are variations of like um, like a lot of people ask us about QRI, which is the Qualitas Fund, commercial real yep. estate. Um, and there are these other types of strategies. I mean, the Invesco website is probably a good place to start. Um, there, there are different strategies that are available, but for the most part, they are wholesale or require large minimums. Uh, yep. for investments and i think the, the question is like kind of like what are you, they trying to get out of it and um in this instance don't know who you are but you may be looking at say something like um a defensive alternative and i think they go on to say i've read it that this investment would sit well in bucket two of the three bucket retirement strategy love the podcast and would be keen to hear views yeah so i'm guessing drew that something like this would sit in your defensive alternatives and the idea would be to inject this into a portfolio so that you get a higher ongoing yield probably not the capital growth that you expect but a higher ongoing yield probably in the high single digits low double digits yeah and effectively many of these would be floating rate if i'm not mistaken yeah well actually you just walked out of a meeting with kkr so they're probably an example of a credit provider so KKR mm-hmm. is because private equity firm, but they they also do debt, not just equity. Uh, and the income is just uh, like when we look at portfolios now, we know you can take less risk and get the same income. So you're taking a little bit less risk than equities because you've got some security over the assets of a company, but you yield eight to twelve percent income. And most of these bonds that you can buy are trading at below their hundred dollar par value. So you could have some upside when they're refinance or or they mature. The issue with private credit in retail for retail investors and portfolios is that generally requires you to not be able to redeem it, basically. And it has to be illiquid um, yeah. and not always comfortable or it means you've got less flexibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the yields on offer from these types of strategies can be meaningfully higher than a traditional bond fund. Um, yep. And sometimes they do have less volatility as well, which is quite interesting. So a lot of people think it sounds like a pretty like dark side of the moon kind of thing where you're going, uh, but it's not that bad. Like um, if you invest with a reputable manager, of course. The thing, I guess, the question that we could probably ask here is like floating rate versus fixed rate. Um, if interest rates fall, obviously you 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 don't get as much yield from that. But um, and whereas a fixed rate, you would get the uplift in the, the value of the bonds. So I think it's a matter of just blending the two right now. Yeah. Um, the next the next question, Drew, comes from IP Freely, who has written <laughs> before. It says, is it worth considering the same IP Freely or <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably the same IP Freely? Um, is it worth investing directly in US shares given the poor exchange rate of the Aussie dollar? Wouldn't my gains be eaten up at the moment the Aussie dollar improves? Um, Am I better off sticking to the ASX until the Aussie dollar is closer to parity with the US dollar? And this is what we're talking about at the top of show, Drew. You mentioned this. The Australian dollar has fallen. I think it's around 64 cents from memory. Um, It's just off the top of my head. So the question is, if you invest that money, like say you got 10 grand, you invest that in the United States, you're going to get, you know, 6,400. But then the Australian dollar rallies 
uh, all of a sudden your US dollars are worth less if you were to convert them back. How are you thinking about this? Given also that US shares have rallied strongly this year, like the NASDAQ's up 35% this year. I mean, what we always try to do for focusing on retirement capital is how do you remove a risk from it? So yeah, buying, call it naked US stocks, unhedged at the moment, mm-hmm. is exposing yourself to that risk. What I would say though is that doesn't mean you just focus on the ASX. Like the, the two-pronged question, if you focus on the ASX, you're giving up the exposure to some to companies that we're talking about, Microsoft, uh, Tesla, Alphabet. So are there ways you can be buying and still getting your exposure overseas, but without having that open currency risk by buying direct stocks in another currency? And that's where things like ETFs and managed funds come in. So understanding that the drivers of returns over long term are still going to be global equities and Australian shares and not just putting it all into into local shares. Um, and yeah, don't expose yourself to that extra risk. You, you can't, you're not going to be able to predict where interest rates are going to go, but the last thing you want is a, we know the Australian dollar swings heavily when it swings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well said. I'd say that, you know, we've seen the US stocks, like if you're just in a index fund, say S&P 500, you've got a 15% return this year. There's a chance with Aussie stocks going nowhere this year that your portfolio may be out of balance and it might need to be rebalanced. And um, I think it's, like you said, removing the risk of currency. By rebalancing, you're also, you're doing that as well. So Buying low, selling high. Yeah, exactly. So you, that may be the strategy to take a top-down approach on it uh, and to just kind of get, I guess, get a plan in place before you kind of just guess. I'd say waiting for the Aussie dollar to go back to parity. I could be mistaken, but I think it's only ever been there once or twice. So I'm just going to quickly look this up. I think it's only ever been there once or twice. So I would twice in my lifetime. Yeah, so a it was long, there. Long lifetime. <laughs> so it was there in 2010 to 2013. Um, and then you'd have to go back well before 1998, as far as I quote my charts right here, to see that. So I think for the most part, yeah. So when was it back? Parity again? Oh, even Yahoo Finance doesn't have the chart. So <laughs> a long, it's a long way back. You just um, remember that uh, there was that iron ore massive boom that had us like beyond parity for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And that was in the 2012 period. Um, so Professor Rask and Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, who says... Um, what is the best data service to view financial reports such as balance sheets, income statements, and cash flow statements? We'll be keen to understand what Owen uses if possible. Morningstar provide all the data in full exportable Excel sheet format. However, are there alternatives which may be more cost-effective or other services I can sit consider? I can tell you, yeah, for sure. It's uh, Ticker. So T-I-K-R.com. Ticker is the service that I use for all financial statements. But let's be real. When we're doing investments when we're making investments in the companies or modeling. We never rely on any data source. We do it all ourselves. You just go into the primary source documents and you get all of the numbers out yourself. So we use Ticker just simply for a visual effect and understanding at large what's going on for screening, that sort of stuff. And we use Morningstar.com for analyst reports on individual companies. Uh, It also provides some useful info on ETFs and funds and that sort of stuff. But that's it. Um, there are other alternatives like Coifin for financials. Um, you can use Whale Wisdom for finding out what um, global investors are doing. You can use, uh, at the lower end, you've got Simply Wall Street, which is, uses good data, but it's a different type of tool. Um, I think so I guys many- use FactSet maybe, but that's a professional tool. 
Yeah, FactSet, yeah. Bloomberg, they're all professional tools, whereas Ticker's kind of bringing that same institutional-grade data and quality. I think you can get it for about $25 US a month. I could be wrong there, but that's the one. So TIKR.com, good question. Um, old Golden Oldies has asked a very big question. Um, I was listening to the Peter, Sh- is it Peter Schiff podcast and wondering, with the American economy and the American debt being so high and ever-growing and no stopping, do you think the USA will ever pay back its debt? Is the American government likely to devalue its dollar? I heard that IMF now classes gold as a form of payment. Is it likely that it will pay it back in gold after its devaluation and use gold to settle its debits? This is a the very age old question. question. This is the age old question. This is a Go very back to the gold question. standard. And then you have to remember why the gold standard was broken. Yeah. Um, Dr. Andrew Derrimuth, over to you, resident. Who, who um, broke the gold standard? That was when was central it? banks, you know, every dollar in the central bank had to be backed by gold, and then they yeah. realized it actually, you know, it's not possible. Didn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually <laughs> impossible, uh, and uh, the cost of goods and, and everything would just fluctuate too much. And literally, it's a whole concept of fiat money. This is a Bill Mitchell. If I get this wrong, Bill Mitchell is going to be on the emails, <laughs> and I know. Another client of mine, Fred, will be calling first thing if I get this wrong. But no, the US government does not ever have to pay back its debt. It it needs to uh, redeem or you know pay back bonds as they mature, but it can simply issue more bonds. And uh, in the very, 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 very worst case, the Federal Reserve would just essentially buy the bonds from the Treasury as it has for the last 15 or 20 years. So it does not have to pay back the debt. And this is, yeah, this is, <laughs> I'll get myself into trouble and there's a there's a rabbit hole here. <clears throat> but what but you're probably you. talking about is financial repression and it's kind of what they're, what's happening at the moment. So the idea that as inflation continues to increase, the tax takings from the government will also increase and they'll be able to more aggressively pay back uh, the debt, um, and it's what's supposed to happen to to balance the economy, and that's probably with the comment around the IMF that we had at the beginning. That if money is too much, money is going to the economy, uh, and there's deficit, it creates inflation. Not necessarily the people spending, but government spending. Mm. So how do you start reversing that? Um, and maybe it's naturally happening because the interest costs are going up, but then you're just issuing more bonds to do it. So. I'm in a rabbit hole. <laughs> Here's I don't Here's think we're going back to a gold standard. Like there's a story that you could build, make a trillion dollar bill tomorrow, all the government debt would be gone and that trillion dollar bill would not be deflationary. Inflationary. It'd probably mm. be deflationary. Um, I think this is like, it's very, it's very easy for people to get overwhelmed and think that a government's balance sheet, at least one where they print their own currency, is like a household balance sheet. Um, don't for that. But yeah, but the easiest way to think about it would be that imagine you have your household balance sheet and you can just go and click the button in the kitchen and you just get more money. Um, and the debt keeps expanding, but you just keep clicking the button and you just keep going. Um, of course, there's more to it, but that's just the general gist. All right, we've probably got time for maybe <laughs> two more questions. Well, it's good. There's only two more questions left. I can't so, paste uh, that question for when Bill Mitchell's on. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just put it to him, but we'll change a few words and just see if we can just mix it up and just throw a few spanners in there. Hopefully he's not listening. Ian McCoon writes in, and it's not the actual Ian McCoon, because <laughs> you mentioned Magellan suffered from a key person risk, which had a big impact on the share price when they left. Do you think Pinnacle, ASX, P&I, also is at risk of this? Given Ian McCoon, he said he would likely leave around 2023. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So just so we can confirm, Pinnacle 
is like an investment manager. Yeah. yeah, but they have multiple brands. I, I counted them before we came on our come and how many. It's like oh, yeah, ten plus. So they've got a couple of like private equity type things in there. But um, so they've got ten different strategies or fund managers beneath them, and they own a part of all of them. Rather than Magellan, which at the time with Hamish Douglas at the top, really only had one like key person overseeing a few of the strategies, um, which was of it. they have the infrastructure, which kind of the team kind of sits off to the side and is really good. But the main global fund was run by the talisman, uh, Hamish Douglas. Now Magellan have the core series, early, still got the global fund and infrastructure, but it's very different to Pinnacle in that Pinnacle doesn't have to manage the money of all of the different strategies. It just has to market and sell, and sell them and promote them to financial advisors. So I would say, Drew, it's a very different thing. Um, even if you step back, I think the key person risk is not nearly as uh, profound. That would be Yeah, I think yeah, you, Hamish Douglas was the key decision maker for individual investment decisions as well as the running the Magellan business. Mm-hmm. And that's where we see key person risk is in it was all his IP that was driving performance. Whereas at Pinnacle, you've got the complete opposite. It's all these individual managers. I think Metrics is in there. So Andrew Lockhart, I think Firetrail's in there, um, some of those groups. Yep. So they've got their own key person issues within each fund, but not necessarily the top level. That not not um, discounting Ian McCoon's importance. I'd suggest that the company uh, has run incredibly well because of his leadership at that managing director level of mm. Pinnacle, but not the individual managers. So um, the performance of the, the – the in I think the performance of this company is driven by the performance of the managers mm-hmm. over the long term and mm-hmm. selecting those managers well. So, Drew, there's two um, two more questions which will be quick on. We'll give 30-second answers to both. But this one here from Lee, which was, hi, Owen, I watched your YouTube live. I watch your YouTube live every Wednesday. I would love to hear your views on STX and also explain why BHP is half the price of Rio but is the biggest mining company. Well, that's just because um, you're thinking about share prices and uh, Rio Tinto has fewer shares on offer than BHP. So it's like you get a $10 pizza. You can cut it in half. You got two five dollar slices, or you can cut it in five pieces. You got five two dollar slices. It doesn't really matter how big the slice, how expensive the slices is, how many slices there are um, that matter, and that's how you work out the value of a business. So BHP is the bigger business. STX is a business that I was unfamiliar with. Strike Energy ASX ticker symbol STX, um, and as far as I know, the company has made close to nothing in receipts from customers because it's an oil and gas exploration company. Um, it made $32,000 of receipts from customers in the first three months of the year. Uh, it's spent, it basically it went backwards to the tune of $23 million. And that's because it's early stage. It's a business that despite having a large market cap, it's very, very early stage. It's not the type of business that I invest in in any sense of the word. So um, it's too early stage for me, and I imagine the same is for Drew. The question I've got for you, Drew, which I didn't know the exact answer for this, and I was trying to think about this one just quickly, which is from Devastated Mortgage Prisoner, which is a hell of a name. Um, how do I claim a capital loss on open pay shares? For those that don't know, open pay went out of business. It was a as far as I know, it was a buy now, pay later business, went out of business, which was on the ASX. Do you have to wait until the final 
decision is made that your equity is virtually worthless? I, I had the same question. Um, a couple of clients had companies that uh, that eventually disappeared, but it can take like two or three years for that administration yeah. process. And they found, uh, so again, not a recommendation, but there's a group called delisted.com.au where yep. you can search old companies, old codes, uh, and they actually buy those shares from you, you usually have to pay them <laughs> to do it, but it gets the um, it gets the capital. It realizes that capital loss. Um, I'm not sure what they do with them. Maybe they you know use it to negotiate or try and get something assets, some value of the assets at the end. But you can sell it to crystallize that loss to a group, whatever delisted is or what they do behind the back. I have no idea, and that's not a recommendation. Um, yeah, it's interesting because um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Go to delisted.com.au. We've spoken about this a little bit before, but go and check that out because when a company does go into liquidation and or administration, um, it's not every day. People think that happens quite a bit in stock market. It doesn't actually happen that often. Like most people sell it before it gets to that point. But um, yeah, I would say that you've got to realize the loss. So I'm sure delisted, I've been on the website, we'll have more information. All right, Drew, we've got to pick uh, a best question to name. I'm actually going to go with that one. Devastated mortgage prisoner. <laughs> Because it's just right, just grabs me right in the back of the throat there. Um, D, devastated mortgage prisoner, if you did write into us, uh, if you could write into us, that'd be great. Uh, just tell us uh, that you were the questioner and uh, you'll get a free pass to the Value Investor Program. Uh, Drew, we've got to get sent off into the distance with a, a good old dad joke. The dad joke lit up on Instagram the other day. But before we get to that, uh, people can head to the link in the show notes. This is financial planning to get in touch with Waddle Partners at the team, including Drew. So you can do that there. Uh, you can say good day to us as well. Drew, what have you got for us? All right. Um, as always, unprepared and ready to go now. Um, oh, what do you call a factory that makes okay products? Probably a link to Pact Group Holdings. I mean, maybe not. <laughs> Okay, products. I don't know. A satisfactory. <laughs> That's the <laughs> laugh I get when I say credit to you. So, <laughs> no credit to me. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that nothing's coming close to your fish in the riverbank. <laughs> quote. Uh, it was a setup for that one that worked. Yeah. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to come back with a bit more than that, mate. I'll give you. I'll give you a five out of ten because I'm being right. generous. But that was good, mate. Um, well, next week we'll be back to answer questions. Send us your questions via the link in the podcast player or in the YouTube description. Uh, Drew Meredith from Model Partners, as always, mate. Absolute pleasure. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. 
You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.